0: Hi, this is Steve. There was a time when Roman epics, what Hollywood used to call sword and sandal pictures, were as common as Westerns, musicals, and gangster movies. From Ben-Hur, both silent and sound version, to Spartacus, there were few things the public loved more than watching their favorite star throw on a toga and step out into the Coliseum. But by the mid-60s, the sword and sandal picture had fallen on hard times. The nail in the coffin was probably Elizabeth Taylor's disastrous Cleopatra, An epic so terrible and so expensive that it almost put 20th Century Fox out of business. So, when Ridley Scott decided to revive the genre in the year 2000, the industry thought he was absolutely crazy. The result is a sweeping, dramatic adventure with epic battles, fantastic action sequences, incredible cinematography, and great performances from Russell Crowe, Richard Harris, Joaquin Phoenix, Connie Nielsen, and the wonderful Oliver Reed in his final film. Now, if you haven't seen this movie, my advice to you is to go straight to our website, cinephiles.net, where you can buy the Blu-ray or rent it from Amazon Prime. Trust me, you will be entertained. Now, Gladiator is another big one, so we had to divide it into two parts to capture the whole thing. Oh, and one more thing. Believe it or not, our 100th episode is coming up, and John and I have decided to do something special. Rather than review another classic film, we wanted to open up the discussion to you. Is there a question you've been dying to ask a professional cinephile? Some topic we've never covered on the show. You want to hear our feelings about a specific actor, a director, or film style. Do you want to know more about how the show is made? John's fashion sense or my favorite taco truck? Well, this is your chance. You can send all your questions to our brand new email address, thecinephiles1941 at gmail.com. That's thecinephiles, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S, no dash this time, 1941, the year Citizen Kane came out, at gmail.com, thecinephiles1941 at gmail.com. So, that's part one of Ridley Scott's Academy Award-winning film, Gladiator, this Friday, and a special Q&A coming in a few weeks for our 100th episode. See you then.
1: Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here?
0: and welcome once again to the Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence
2: it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, Cinephiles fans. I'm John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, host, writer, and producer here in Los Angeles, California, and massive fan of this film that we're going to talk about. Um, and this is going to be a fun little journey for me, Steve, because... Uh, this is a film a film i revered for quite some time, and yet this time around, watching it with these 2018 eyes, with these eyes that have gone through a lot of film analysis with you on the show, I've got some things to say. Well, that's so. going to be very interesting. <laughs> Today's film is two, Year 2000 Gladiator, directed
0: by Ridley Scott, starring Russell Crowe, Jomon Hansu, um, uh, Richard Harris, Oliver Reed, Connie Nielsen, um, Joaquin Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix, yeah, Derek you know, Jacobi. This is a great. This is a great big epic movie and one of the reasons we're doing this movie is because it's a patreon pick and so we want to thank jared bowers matt Jun, and laura frazier for picking this film and rather than us tell you why they might have picked gladiator we'd love to hear from them
3: hi john and steve laura here from sydney australia i'm really excited that you are about to do ridley scott's gladiator on the cinephiles as a lover of both cinema and ancient history this is a film that really speaks to many of my interests Now, in my opinion, Ridley Scott gets great performances from everyone in the cast and Russell Crowe gives a stunning, layered performance as Maximus, switching with ease between the ferocity of the war-hardened general and the vulnerability of a grief-stricken husband. Now, many historians may criticise the accuracy around certain characters in the film but what we get is enough authenticity in the historical flavour to forgive a little artistic licence here and there. What the cinematography, conceptual design and score do so well It's put us at the heart of an empire at the height of its power. And yet at a story level, we get a very intimate look at the lives of the characters who inhabit that world. With a lesser director and a lesser cast, Gladiator may have been just a quick flash-in-the-pan, sword-and-sandals movie. This movie is an example of how, when all the contributors are at the top of their game, a movie can transcend its genre. Thanks very much for bringing us this episode. I'm really looking forward to hearing it.
4: Hey guys, this is Matt from New York. For as long as I can remember, Gladiator has been one of my favorite movies. I have no doubt that it subconsciously played a role in my decision to major in ancient history in college back in the day. Obviously, it's a masterclass of acting from both Phoenix and Crow. This movie was my introduction to both of them, and they're now two of my favorite actors. But I think what really draws me to this movie, time and time again, is that Ridley Scott does an unbelievable job at showing the sheer scale and might of Rome at the height of its power in the world. From the second, you see the overhead shot of the city in the Coliseum, and the Colosseum and Commodus riding in surrounded by drummers and hordes of people cheering and booing and enjoying the spectacle. You know the care and detail that went into making what might be the last true epic that we have seen. I'm really looking forward to hearing you guys discuss this film and remember what we do in life echoes in eternity. So, John,
0: do
2: you remember how you came to see Gladiator? First of all, I want to thank them all for commenting. On why they chose the movie. That's pretty incredible uh, to hear our fans talk about why they chose the movie. What a great little thing. Uh, Do I remember? Yes, I remember seeing it in the theaters. I remember seeing it with a bunch of friends. uh, And I remember absolutely loving this film... Uh, because it hit all the right buttons for me as a fan of like the old school gladiator films, you know, like that joke from airplanes. Does your dad like, <laughs> Do you like gladiator <laughs> you films, like, son? Have you ever been to a Turkish prison? <laughs> <laughs> Those kinds of things. But I've always enjoyed them with the Sandal and Sword epics, what they call the Sandal and Sword epics, like Spartacus and, and uh, a bunch of other ones that have come out during that time. And so for me, I always enjoyed the those films those to see it brought up into a modern take on some on a gladiator film it was really surprising because obviously they don't do a lot of gladiator films much anymore and to even call it right on the nose gladiator let yeah. you know what this film is all about but i i just remember loving it two and a half hours it was just fantastic um
0: i saw it in the, in the, the theater. theater right yeah sorry, i yeah. saw it
2: in the theater too uh, i had
0: already moved down to la i think i saw it in the chinese theater i'm not sure but i think it was and I remember loving every single bit of it and just eating it up and then having weird feelings about the ending. Oh. Yeah. And so it's a movie that I like totally admire. And then mm-hmm. I didn't watch it for a really long time. And I, and of course, it won the Oscar for Best Picture. Yes. Um, and then I didn't watch it again probably for another 10 years. Mm. And then I watched it again maybe two or three years ago and then watched it for this. So I haven't seen it a ton. But I've definitely seen it. And it's such a fascinating movie to to dig into. Mm -hmm. And for one of the reasons that you bring up is that Gladiator films, what they used to call sword and sandal pictures, they used to be a staple. Oh, yeah, the north. You know, it's like there there were Westerns, there were, you know, Roman films, there was, you know, this is just, of course, they would gangster films. Yeah, There was just one of the ones they did up until 1960, Spartacus, and then that's kind of the last really good one. Mm-hmm. And then three years later is Cleopatra, right? which is one of the huge, big budget disaster films that completely changed Hollywood. If you looked at sort of the death of the studio system in the 60s that led to the kind of auteur filmmakers of the 70s, mm. Cleopatra is one of the number one films that was like, oh, this old system is dead. And I think that really, I can't think of a lot of Roman epics
2: from... 1963 yeah. until we get to 2000 and Gladiator. Yeah, they just didn't make them. I don't think the public had an interest in them, and there wasn't the money in it anymore to right. invest in things like that as well. Well, personally, first of all, it's budget, but yeah. then there's always I always have a weird thing of the public doesn't have
0: an interest because the public doesn't know what they have an interest in until somebody makes the movie. <laughs> you know, it's like people said, oh, people aren't interested in westerns, and then you have Unforgiven. Right. People aren't interested in
2: fantasy movies, and then you have Lord of the Rings. It's like, well, if you make a good yeah. movie. I think usually people aren't. Well, uh, no, I think your point is may is true that they if you make a good movie whatever genre people will come to it, but my 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 overall point is that you won't have the volume that you did before I don't think we have the same thing with westerns I don't think we have an interest in westerns that we did back then that's absolutely you know we're more pioneering back then we've kind of conquered everything there is to conquer and I think that's why the gladiator stuff and the westerns genres have kind of gone away because we've done everything we can as a country and it's like well what do we got left you know so it's more about inner exploration and now superheroes because we want to conquer space and conquer powers and those kinds of things that's why the genre is now and eventually this bubble will pop too so it's just it's just how it is right now Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to be that – up. I don't know if I'll be that
0: upset when superhero films take a little break. Stop it,
2: you. Look, I love them, but – How dare you? Okay.
0: Um, So (laughs) the movie starts with uh, David Francine, who's uh, the the first writer on the movie. He's also a producer. And he brings it to Steven Spielberg. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, nobody's going to take this movie. Nobody wants to do a movie like this. And, of course, Spielberg says – yes yeah this is what we want to do which makes sense as a fan of classic films like he is absolutely and of course one of the steven spielberg's favorite films is a movie you and i've talked about it a lot and actually my guess is we will have released this movie before gladiator oh yeah and that is when we're going to record next week which yes. is ben-hur Hoo-ah! ben-hur is a is probably is one of the other great uh sword and sandal I will movies. try not to cry through that movie, through <laughs> that conversation. <laughs> you know, listen, if you listen to It's a Wonderful Life, if there are a few other ones, The Natural or some of the. Mm. There are a few where both you and I are crying. Yes, it true. It happens sometimes. <laughs> um, I doubt that I'm going to be crying during Gladiator. Okay. I oh, think yeah, I'm going to yeah, make it through Gladiator, this one, right, we're right, going to be okay. Yeah. And the thing they really wanted to get was this mix of – epic drama and great modern sort of action yeah. and real adventure and that's what they really set out to do and of course the first person they bring in is Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine
2: this movie with any other director. Yeah, it's kind of hard. I mean, right? Cuz he really understood what they were trying to do with the movie. Yeah. You know what was the movie was supposed to be. His epic vision was incredible.
0: And and the thing this is our third Ridley Scott movie. We did Alien, right? We did Blade Runner. Yeah two science fiction movies and now rather than going into the into the future we're going deep into the past Mm -hmm. and what Ridley Scott says is that he really likes to create worlds and so for him creating a future world isn't that different from creating a past world right you know it's building the whole thing and something that you and I have talked about I think more off off the mic Mm -hmm. is that Ridley Scott's one of these guys who will be like he'll make an amazing film and then there'll be two or three completely average movies. Absolutely. And then and you'll go, oh, maybe Ridley Scott's done. Maybe right. that's it for him. And then there's going
2: to be another amazing film. Yeah. You know? That's, what's, that's yeah. what's so complex, uh, uh, frustrating about him. Yeah. Because he's not consistent. You know no. what I'm saying? Like, with, even with, Spiel, like with Spielberg, you can argue whether there are like, if they hit the nail on the head as strongly as his other films have, but you can never argue quality with Spielberg. I think that's, an, unless you're talking about 1941, there's, it's really rare for him to have a misstep in terms of quality. But the it may not be as good as, other, as his other films, but there's still quality within the film. And I think with Ridley, something like The Counselor, or his yeah. Robin Hood, or Black one. Hat, there's yep. terrible movies. They're terrible movies. They all look good. Yeah, look good, but the quality isn't there. I think he, what
0: because what he's, I won't say he's weak on. Yeah. Well maybe is that if he has a great story to back up all the other cool things he's gonna do, yeah. it usually works pretty well. Yeah. And when the story falls apart, as it does in a bunch of his movies, you know, yeah. all of the great visuals and great technique that he's using, it just doesn't seem to matter. Yeah. Um, but that is not the case in Gladiator. No. And one of the first things he does is bring in another writer. And this is a classic Hollywood thing. Okay, I like this script. Great. You're fired. Let's bring in someone else. <laughs> Except that Ridley didn't fire him. So, so um, our first writer, which is David Francine, who's also a producer, he stays on. They bring in John Logan, who's a playwright. And he basically rewrites all the dialogue mm-hmm. or a whole bunch of it. Yeah. And uh, he added all the afterlife stuff. Oh, um, interesting. So, And, and the, we ended up having a third writer come in, which is William Nicholson, and he does a complete rewrite, and he <laughs> flushes out the romantic stuff. And what's really strange that isn't true of most movies is they kept all three of these guys around. Wow. And so one person would do a draft, then we'd go to the next person, and the next person. And they kept throwing it back and forth, each one kind of polishing a scene in different ways, and the rewriting is happening throughout the entire movie. Wow from beginning to end they're constantly rewriting scenes so actors are coming on set and being handed lines completely different scenes yeah. from what they thought the movie was yeah. and what's on a big production what's so brutal about this is that you have your production design team Who's building sets, and in this case, huge sets, and they're building them based on a schedule because we need to have this set ready at this time. Mm-hmm. Except when there's time, they get that set ready and they go, oh, we're not shooting this. We're not even using that set. That's been cut out of the movie, but we really need a palace room. It's like, well, we don't have a palace room. <laughs> and so they're continually scrambling. This is madness. It's crazy. The, the way this movie was made is just crazy. Wow. And maybe this goes to why Ridley Scott movies aren't always good, Mm. is that magically it all comes together. And we'll get into some of the really crazy ways that that happens. Yeah. But, you know, there are actors showing up on set who are reading a script and saying, wait, how can I say this? I don't know this thing yet because you cut the scene where I find this out, you know? And then they're going, oh, crap, you're right. Let's rewrite that scene, (laughs) you know, so we can know that you know the thing before you have to say. me. It's just (laughs) absolutely insane. Yeah. And, and, and this goes to like, we've talked a lot about the auteurs, like the idea of, you know, like Tarantino and Kubrick, mm-hmm. people who had total control over their movies, people who are writers and directors. And this is the opposite. This is the, we're going to throw a whole bunch of talent at a thing and we're going to mix it all up and hopefully it's all going to come out <laughs> the right way, which it does. Yeah. And one other thing I want to say before we get into the movie is this is 2000. And I think this is one of the key films in the evolution of computer generated images.
2: Oh, interesting.
0: You know, is that the Matrix is uh, is 98, I think? Yeah. And this is 2000 and that it's we're just yeah. starting to get where it's really they're able to use it in a way that's really working within a film. Mm-hmm. Should we get into the movie? Yeah, sure. I love that the Dreamworks mm-hmm. and Universal logos are in sepia. Mhm. That's just a nice touch combined with the music. Yeah. Right? At Which the same is time. Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Fantastic. And we get a little bit of on-screen text, which seems appropriate to the kind of film we are in. I know. And what do we start with is we hear about that there's this Roman campaign in Germania led by the Emperor Marcus Aurelius. And what do we start with then is a close-up of a hand going through the wheat. Um, that's a very important image in this film.
2: Yeah, it becomes a thing that they come back to over and over again. Mm-hmm. The symbolism of it at the beginning versus symbolism in the middle of the film versus the symbolism at the end. It's really fantastic.
0: It is, and what's fascinating about it, as far as I can tell, that ain't Russell Crowe's hand. <laughs> and this image was thought of at the very end of the shoot. Oh, wow. They had a body double in, and they're shooting some pickups at the um, at, at the character of Maximus' house, mm-hmm. which I think was shot in... Um, uh, in Tuscany, in Italy, and and that's when Ridley Scott had the idea of you know what run your fingers through that wheat, yeah. And then the editor had the idea of putting it at the very beginning of the movie. Hmm. So like again, they didn't know that this was what it's going to be, but it's so important because it sets the theme, yeah, so much. And then we get Russell Crowe, yeah, man, he's on a big run right now, mm-hmm. because L.A. Confidential is uh, ninety seven. But we already talked about it yeah uh insider is 99 Gladiator is 2000 beautiful mind 2001 master and commander 2003 cinderella man 2005
2: this is a great run of russell crowe movies man i love russell crowe yeah yeah he's so good for all his nuttiness out- off camera i don't care because of what i get on camera and uh when he's dial- during this period when he's dialed in with these movies steve it's really incredible and he has tremendous range yeah because the you know the insider character is totally different from
0: Gladiator yeah. and Beautiful Mind and Cinderella Man. Yeah, I mean, these are all, or even just recently
2: in um, uh, Nice Guys. Yeah, Nice Guys. He's great yep. and plays a completely different kind of person. Yep. I like him a lot. And I remember seeing him in Some of Us, which is an Australian film. Where he plays a homosexual son mm. and the father's accepting that he's gay. Wow. It's, he's just got a, a shit ton of range as an actor. No, that guy's a great actor. I mean, yes. And of course going mean, Robert Stomper.
0: Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Um, and we see the Roman legions marching in. We see Richard Harris as Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. And we know, like, we're in a big Roman epic movie. <laughs> um, and what's really great how they present and establish the character of Maximus is you see the way he interacts with his soldiers. Yeah. You see that they smile at him. And they like him, mm-hmm. and that he is not removed from them. They, they they know he's the the guy, but they also know he cares about them. Yeah, and is one of them in some way. It's great. Yeah, A really great introduction. Um, and we're waiting to see if what the the Germans uh, thought of the uh, the treaty or the message we sent to them. Yes. <laughs> didn't like it they did not like it no (laughs) because what comes back is a horse with a headless horseman strapped to it yeah yeah so and 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 there's and the line that we have is people should know when they're conquered Mm. here's a thought i had about this yeah this is like five years after braveheart okay um in braveheart we are with the more kind of barbaric people fighting the more industrial army sure and here we're with the more industrial army fighting the the people defending their land Mm -hmm. and yet we just flip our allegiances we have no problem whoever we start with we're like those are our guys
2: yeah who's my protagonist all right i'm in i'm with you guys i'm in um yeah well especially when the the legion turns on him so you know they turn him into an underdog yeah, almost immediately. Away. Yeah, right. Well, not mostly immediately. It's a long movie, but <laughs> nobody from the beginning. He's yeah. an underdog in
0: the situation. Yeah. Um, almost. Yeah. He kneels down. He rubs some dirt on his hands. Yeah. Again, like the hand through the wheat. Mm-hmm. This is an image we're going to stick with a lot. That's yeah. important. Uh, and we say, "Strength and honor." Strength and honor is a good. Yeah, it good, is good. Good thing to say to each other. Strength and honor. Strength and honor. Strength and honor. And how does how does Russell Crow Maximus describe the? Uh, the attack, he says.
2: at my signal. Unleash hell. Yeah, it's a great line. Yeah, it is. A lot of really tough lines in this movie. This is a this is a manly This movie. is a man's movie, goddammit. I well, well, don't mean to be sexist. I'm just saying it's a man's fucking movie. Well,
0: what's interesting, this is the big thing they were worried about, is, oh. is we know men are gonna come. Right. We don't know if women are gonna come. Well, that's why you cast Russell Crowe.
2: Yeah. At that time.
0: Well, and 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 spoiler alert, they came. Yeah.
2: Yes. Um, uh,
0: And we know we're going to get in for a big battle. And by the way, this is shot about four hours outside of London. Okay. It's a nice location. And and Ridley wanted this to be almost entirely blue. So the only time you see the colors of yellow and red and orange are in fire. Mm -hmm. Other than that, it's great, great color control. One of the things to think about as we watch about 2,000 plus extras go at each other is that everything you see was built so every wow. sword, every yeah. shield, every uh, piece of Roman you know, military machinery, every costume, every helmet, every glove, every shoe, all of that was built. Wow. That is a lot. Yep. That is a lot of logistics. Yeah. And, and to that 2,000 or so people, we add another 3,000 digitally. Um, And this is one of those first big plates with big digital
2: armies fighting each other. Yeah. You know, this is the beginning of this. It's really tough to see that. Like, it's really tough to notice it. It's really well done. So well done. Yeah, exactly. And the battle is, well, Ray, I mean, it's, it's well fought. It's, it's rages back and forth, all the things that are happening. It's, it's a good, good battle. And it's, it gets you right into the movie. You know what I'm saying, and you sense his honor as a leader absolutely and his honor as a, a leader of his men, not just as a leader of these of this country but as a leader of his men.
0: Well, and one thing that's really interesting as you think as one thinks about leadership, yeah is that uh, Sun Tzu talks about basically two kinds of leaders. there's the general who sits back from his troops, he wears the fancy outfit, he's in the and he is separate. He mm-hmm. is not one of them, right. and that can be a great general. and then there's the general who and that what can you say that might be Patton. Sure. like Patton had an outfit and he was not one of his men right as opposed to Omar Bradley who was the soldiers general right is that the general who's going to be right out there in the front lines he's not putting on airs or the difference between Robert E. Lee and Ulysses S. Grant yeah well Maximus is going to be in the front lines Yep. he is one of them and he gives I love his speech to his cavalry before they march off where he says
1: you find yourself alone riding in green fields with the sun on your face Do not be troubled, for you are in Elysium, and you're already dead! (laughs) Brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity.
0: And, man, they load up those Mm -hmm. uh, catapults, trebuchets, scorpions big fire bombs and that battle begins.
2: It's big. Yeah, it's a fantastic battle. So enjoyable. I'm scared of 5000 flaming arrows coming my way. Sure? Yeah. Sure. I'm scared of swinging st- all that steel swinging around. Yeah. And all I'm wearing are pelts. And you can see why
0: the Roman legions are so darn scary. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things, because I'm sort of fascinated by military strategy is the difference between like what Roman military strategy is based on Greek military strategy. And then they've added to it. And the big difference is the change from individual valor to organization and technology. Right. And if you look at the German attackers, they are individuals. And the Romans, are have they have specific formations. They have different jobs within their groups. You have heavy heavy uh, infantry, you have light infantry, you have cavalry, you have archers, and they each go in a different place. They have yeah. formations that they go in. Man, it doesn't matter how bad a f- ass a fighter you are. Yeah. You see that Roman formation coming your way, it's going to be tough. Yeah. Um, and by the way, it's called a tetsudo, is the uh, shield box where they all kind of lock their shields together and have shields over their heads. Okay. That's that's a classic kind of Roman military formation. Gotcha. In comes the cavalry attack. Uh, Maximus is unhorsed. Mm-hmm. And right here we see what an amazing fighter mm-hmm. this guy is. Almost all of this is Russell Crowe. He moves great. Yeah. Moves really, really well. And it's a scary, brutal battle. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things they do, by the way, is that they, because uh, I always wonder, how do you choreograph 2,000 people? Right. And what they did was they choreographed basically four or five basic fights. And then they assigned those basic fights throughout all the people. So they go, you're going to do number three, you're going to do number two, you're going to do number four. And they kind of, and so it looks like they're all having random fights. Yeah. But in fact, they're all repeating the same actions, just starting at different places. Right. And, that, and then they can repeat them over and over again. And it looks like a crazy battle. <laughs> I think that's just brilliant. Yeah. And uh, spoiler alert the Romans win.
2: <laughs>
0: yes. And it's a pretty brutal aftermath. I always think about, like, you know, they don't have medical systems, they don't have transportation, they don't have, uh, you know, orderlies and and people carrying the wounded. This is going to be brutal for a long, long, dirty, bloody, sad time.
2: Yeah, and the thing about um, Maximus is in that opening conversation he has with one of his generals, I guess, where he says, "Well, the cavalry, the loss of the cavalry, the loss of the cavalry is acceptable." So he, he is a military uh, tactician, but he's not afraid to sacrifice his men. No. And so this is the thing about him. He is very adamant about the rules of battle, the rules of the game. And it's very important for him. I think right from the beginning you understand this man is not 100% the good guy. He is a guy who's in a situation, and it's your choice if you want to root for him one way or the other... But he has shades of being a man who just wins, and so yeah,
0: he's a hard man. Yeah, he's a hard man. That's what yeah. I'm getting at. Yeah, he's a yeah. hard
2: man in that kind of situation. Yeah,
0: well, and and, and also I to... think I, I think one of the things that's interesting about the movie is that I don't think we can ignore the speech about you're in Elysium. Yeah, he genuinely believes in the afterlife. Oh yeah, this is not so. Him sacrificing his men, part of that is like, well, that's
2: not the end. You're right now, and you're now in the afterlife. Exactly, and that's okay. Which goes back to the opening shot of him yeah. hand on the wheat.
0: And, wheat. And, and one of the places we end with the battle is just in a shot of Richard Harris looking relieved. Yes. I love Richard Harris. He's so good. I, I'm sort of fascinated by that generation of old school British guy, mm-hmm. Richard Harris, Peter O'Toole, and Richard Burton. Yes. And the slightly younger one, but was still in the club we're also going to see in this movie is Oliver Reed. Yes. And this right. is a hard drinking, <laughs> let me repeat, hard drinking yeah. crowd of guys.
2: I mean, if you read any biographies on these guys, you find that like they've did so many plays where they would go across the street during the intermission, get drunk, come back and finish the second act of whatever play they were on. Yeah.
0: Incredible. Yeah, or have timed out, it's the middle of act two, I'm off stage for 12 minutes. Yes. Let me cut down a couple of pints. Fascinating. And while I don't, you know, I don't think working with them would be that fun, (laughs) I think drinking with them would be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, And we cut away from the battle to this carriage, Mm -hmm. where we meet Commodus and Lucilla, that's Walking Phoenix and Connie Nielsen. Yeah. I don't know who creeps me out more (laughs) in a movie, but... Joaquin Phoenix in this movie might be the creepiest of the creepy.
2: Oh, yeah. He's a creepy villain. Only because you hate those creepy villains that actually have no physical ability to do what they're doing. Right, but he has physical ability. Well, does he? Or are people letting him win? I'd say a little from column A, a little from column B. Okay, okay. That's fair. But, I mean, he just doesn't seem like, you know, it's creepy for, I don't know, he seems less manly. That's what I guess what I'm trying to say. If I could well, say that compared that to Maximus, I
0: think yeah. everyone is less manly. Well, um, but yes, he is not. He, but he is right for them. And th- what's funny is I didn't know him that well. Oh, in as 2000, an actor, as time. an actor. Oh, yeah. I think I'd
2: seen him in a couple of things. We're sure. trying to think of what he had been in before this. U Turn that uh, Oliver. I Stone saw U Turn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and in of the To Die For, the Nicole Kidman movie, where he's the student who gets seduced by Nicole Kidman to kill Matt Dillon. And that's based on the. I think I saw Amy that smart. Before. Yeah, I you know, think yeah. Pamela Smart, something like that. Yeah, but
0: I didn't know him that well, and so this this solidified who I thought Joaquin yes.
2: Phoenix was. This was the next step for Joaquin. Yeah, to, and
0: it took a while to, to find f- out. Like, no, he's a whole
2: other, completely different kind Absolutely. of thing. That's what's so incredible about this movie. The actors they chose to be in this movie are not yeah. your standard, you know, fare of actors to do a Gladiator film. Joaquin is very much bringing independent actor vibe to totally. this villain. And and to a degree, uh, Russell Crowe is as well because he's not your standard leading man. He really isn't. And Connie Nielsen is fantastic as well yeah. as a as a uh, I think she's Dutch uh, actress that she is. What's or so weird, Danish. by
0: the way, if you watch like the behind the scenes stuff or hear her interviewed, yeah, her voice is completely different. Yes, she doesn't. I'm like, how did that person do mm-hmm. that voice in that movie? It's yeah. bizarre. She's great in it, by the way. Yes. Um, and they learn that the emperor is at the front, um, and uh, Commodus gets a kiss from Lucilla and jumps on his horse. Um, yeah, we're not a fan of this guy. No. Yeah.
2: It was, it was uh, sense his sense is ambition, um, right? And he's waiting, because he, he says, like, uh, you know, he's going to make the decision. He's going to make the decision. Right. His ID, he thinks he's just, he's he's ready to be emperor. He thinks he's going to be named emperor. Absolutely. Um, Maximus pulls his sword
0: out of the tree, which is kind of cool. We go off to see Richard Harris, Marcus Aurelius. You approved
1: your valor yet again, Maximus. <laughs> Let us hope for the last time. There's no one left to fight, sir. There is always someone left to fight. How can I reward Rome's greatest general?
0: Let me go home. That is right from the beginning understanding who this guy is. <laughs> we haven't had a lot of dialogue yet. No. We're fairly far into the movie. Um, and that's about when Commodus shows up just in time to see the armies cheering Maximus. Yeah. Okay. With Marcus Aurelius' blessing. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And so right here we get what the the problem is going to be. Mm-hmm. And I love that he runs up and goes, oh, have I missed the battle? <laughs> it's like, you've missed the war. He's such a smarmy little shit, yeah. He is, he is. Well, this is an interesting thing. So Ridley Scott throughout the commentary track, says, and that's why we feel sympathetic to Commodus. What? Yep. He did all... He says, Ridley Scott's intention is because you see that he is not loved by Marcus Aurelius, that we therefore should feel sympathy for him. He's out of his mind. Yeah. Well, this is one of those weird things. Everyone's like, no, I feel no sympathy for him. I hate him literally from frame one throughout the entire movie. He's a horrible person. I do not feel sympathy
2: for him. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because Marcus Aurelius, which we'll find out in the scene in a little bit, says... Any mistakes in you are my mistakes. So he's saying forgive me for fucking you up and messing your upbringing up but this is what needs to happen for Rome. Well and it's still not enough.
0: Yeah, but I but listen, if you if your dad who you felt unloved by for yeah. your whole life and said listen you are a horrible person. I agree. But if any of those problems, they're really my fault for being such a terrible dad. Now, let me take away your birthright. You wouldn't go, oh, that's cool now.
2: Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> I, but I don't know if I'd suffocate him to death, too, into my chest. But, fair. Yeah. Fair point.
0: <laughs> um, uh, time for a big party. I love the Maximus washing his bloody hands mm-hmm. in that. Ugh. Yeah. And and we get a little bit of the politics because yeah. because he's talking to these senators— and Commodus comes over and says,
4: Beware of Gaius. You'll pour a honeyed potion in your ear and you'll wake up one day and all you'll say is, Republic, Republic, Republic. We see
0: that Maximus is a powerful person and everybody needs him on their side yeah, in some way. Well, he's a tool,
2: right? And Exactly. And you got to love the fact that these senators come out to the battle after the battle's been won and it's safe to come out. Now they come out and play politics. Yeah. You don't see them on the battlefield. You did not see the senators out there fighting. No, it's, it's the job of senators That's is right. to not be there. Just to send everyone else, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, in this case, we also have an emperor. The yes, we do. Them, you know, yeah. like the power of the Roman Senate in the time of the, in the empire is very complicated. They yeah. weren't disbanded, but a lot of emperors did whatever the hell they wanted, too. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. There might be a couple of things. A couple? In this film. A
2: couple, Steve? <laughs> times where I'm like, are we living this Commodus reign now? Anyway, I'm sorry. There are Go a ahead. couple of those. I don't want to alienate too many people on the show. Go ahead. And we have a lovely scene
0: with Marcus and Lucilla. Yes. This is a great scene where he says to her, you know, if you had been born a man.
1: If only you had been born a man. What a
0: Caesar you would have made. And there's this great moment where he says this line. Let us pretend that you are a loving daughter and I am a
1: good
3: father. This is a pleasant fiction,
2: isn't it? So, <laughs> this is not a good... This a man obviously did not raise his children well. No. He's not beloved by his children in any way, shape, or form. No. Or which, so we think. Which, by the way, I should say that Marcus Aurelius,
0: the real Marcus Aurelius, is my favorite emperor. Wow. If I'm going to pick a top emperor, listen to that, it would be Marcus Aurelius.
2: And by the way, and we should say this... Commodus, in no way, none of this happened no. to Commodus in It this sounds like he was movie. not a good guy. Well, no, no. Commodus was actually a revered emperor. It, he just because, Oh, really? I think he was. I, unless I'm getting my facts, because, Steve, you probably know better than me. No, I'm not. I haven't done enough to say. I thought Commodus was part of, like, the aqueduct and all this kind of stuff that happened in Rome. I thought Commodus had a big hand in it. And he lived a long life. He didn't die in the gladiators. No, he no. Didn't that's kill him not in the that's, ring.
0: All, that's all. Yeah, yeah that's all. Like it fantasy. sounds like he was. My understanding is he was a bit of a strange guy. Yes. But maybe we have to. I, I you know, you know, there was a lot to research and I didn't go with that much oh, okay. <laughs> um, but one thing I we can say is that really, Scott he didn't care that much about accuracy
2: no and, and Russell seems to find himself in these movies where accuracy is not a big deal yeah these true because the same thing happened in Beautiful Mind. Yeah, his wife is Latina, it is not a white Jennifer Connolly, right. and the stuff that happened to John Nash kind of different than real Very life. Different. And also, Cinderella, Cinderella Man, Man. Max Baer was not a mean guy who purposely no. went to kill people in the ring. He, they turned him into that with a performance by a Craig Bierko, I think, or yeah. yeah, I think it's Craig Bierko who does it. So, yeah, that he finds himself in these interesting situations. Well, and this is the thing we talked about it in Lawrence of Arabia, is yeah. To
0: what degree, we know we're going to have to mess with history to some degree because we're making a movie. Yeah. And we're going to fit a whole bunch of stuff into a very small period of time. And to what degree, what is our level of responsibility to make it real? Yeah. And, like, Commodus is not a famous emperor. Marcus mm-hmm. Aurelius is. Um Maximus is a fictitious character. Right. So, like, there's a lot. I think we have more leeway here than we do in... Some other movies, yeah, where it's just strictly about extremely important historical events with real characters. Why is Aurelius your favorite emperor? Oh, well, because he wrote Meditations, which is an amazing book of philosophy. Ooh. And I have—it's funny you should ask <laughs> because I have some quotes from Marcus Aurelius. Please. So he found he's he's associated with a philosophy called Stoicism, and I, while there are all sorts of reasons to disagree with this philosophy. You know, sometimes you need some of these quotes, so I'm going to read some to you. Yes, please. Uh, You have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this, and you will find strength. It's very true. Everything we hear is an opinion, not a fact. Everything we see is a perspective, not the truth. Waste no more time arguing about what a good man should be. Be one. When you arise in the morning, think of what a privilege it is to be alive and to think, to enjoy, to love. It is not death that a man should fear, but he should fear never beginning to live. If someone is able to show me that what I think or or do is not right, I will happily change, for I seek the truth by which no one was ever truly harmed. It is the person who continues in his self-deception and ignorance who is harmed. The object of life is not to be on the side of the majority, but to escape finding oneself in the ranks of the insane. Uh, I got a couple more. Reject your sense of injury and the injury itself disappears. Whether you are about to find fault with someone, ask yourself the following question. What fault of mine most nearly resembles the one I am about to criticize? Damn. And finally, how much more grievous are the consequences of anger than the causes of it? It's a very good point. No, Marcus Aurelius is some deep shit. How'd he fuck up his kids then? Well, he was. Well, here, here's a thing I think about a lot, which is that if you look at any of the great men, yes, or any of the great people, sure, not to be sexist, they that took a whole bunch of time. Yes, it did. And and time, unlike more than anything else, is a zero sum game. Yeah. time devoted to one thing is time taken away from another. Marcus Aurelius was off fighting wars and writing his beautiful book of philosophy. Yeah, how much time did he spend with Commodus? Not a lot of time, probably. Yeah. I mean, like, if, you're, if you look at any of the Steve Jobs, Walt Disney, mm-hmm. you look at Napoleon, Julius Caesar, name whoever did great stuff in the world. Right. Albert Einstein, you know, how much time did they have to spend with their family yeah. raising their kids? That's true. The time you give your children, that is how they're going to turn out to some degree. The needs of the many. outweigh <laughs> the needs of the few. Absolutely. Yeah. Is Man, what would Marcus Aurelius think? Of Star Trek II. The I, no, I think st- he would love Star Trek II. I, I hope so. So, in answer to your question, that is why Marcus Aurelius is my favorite favorite Emperor. I'm
2: going to buy that. I'm going to get that book.
0: You would like it. I probably would. Well, do you would. remember you quoted uh, a Marcus Aurelius on Twitter recently? Did I really? recently? And I, oh. and I wrote back to you. I'm like, Marcus Aurelius is always great for a quote. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, he's. it was like one of your Zen posts of the day or nice. so, something like that okay. yeah, it came from him. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephiles' new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game.
2: Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that
0: unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. So it's after our big celebration. Yes. And Maximus is visiting the troops when he sees Commodus at sword practice. And this is what you're bringing up. Yeah. Is how good a swordsman is he and how much are they giving it to him? Right. It's tough to say. I mean, he definitely has practiced. Mm-hmm. He can move. Yeah. But I don't think he's in the league, which we're going to find out at the end of the movie.
2: Well, <laughs> how can you be if you don't actually fight? Yeah. You got to you gotta right? go, go for real. Practice ain't point. the real thing. No. All these people in the Schmodown, they practice behind their computers at their houses. When they show up on set, it's a whole other ball game. Scene yeah. When the lights are on. The Schmodown, life and death battle in the arena. I mean, same it's, thing. It's all relative. Yeah. The arena is, you know,
0: whatever you want it to be. So now we're going to have Marcus Aurelius and Maximus. Yes. Um, and man, Marcus Aurelius is going through some rough stuff about his life. Yeah.
1: Do you see that map? Maximus. That is the world which I created. For 25 years, I have conquered, spilt blood, expanded the empire. Since I became Caesar, I've known four years without war, four years of peace in 20. And for what? I brought the sword. Nothing more.
0: I agree. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, this is what, for me, I always go through this sort of, why conquer? Yeah. What's the point? I don't understand it hmm. to subjugate a whole bunch. And I'm not saying that all these empires that conquered didn't actually bring good things because to some degree we could say maybe they
2: did. Right. But why? What's your... Because we're humans. We're driven to conquer. Some Some of us some are driven people, to conquer. Yeah. Some of us are driven to You know, Alexander the Great. They call him the Great, but he conquered a lot of people, right? Yeah. And that and it, died. Yeah. And that great quote in Die Hard, right? he, we wept for there were no more worlds to conquer and that's the thing. Some people are driven by the achievement of conquering. You know, some people yeah. want to, con- like Steve Jobs, I'm sure, was driven to conquer this in this business this industry, well, this it, Apple stuff. And so yep. it's just like it's just the way we're built. Some of us,
0: yeah. Well, and, and and I always go like, what's the end game here? At a certain point, yeah. and, and what and what's interesting is Maximus's response is basically. If you say that, then that means that all the men that I have led have died for nothing. Yeah. You know?
2: It's a philo- and I think this is what the undercurrent is of this movie, Steve. It's really interesting. It's a philosophical movie. It is. In a gladiator film. And it makes sense when you talk about Marcus Aurelius, what you just said. So all of his philosophies, how this, all, like, this whole film is kind of driven by the philosophical nature of Marcus Aurelius. And I love what he does, though. And Richard Harris is great in this scene. Yeah.
1: There was once a dream that was Rome. You could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. It was so fragile. And I fear that it will not survive the winter. Maximus, let us whisper now, together, you and I. You have a son. Tell me about your home.
0: Like, let's sit and be friends. Let's stop. I don't want to be Caesar. Mm. Let's just talk. And he says, tell me about your home. And this, Russell Crowe's description of his home, this might be my favorite acting moment from him in the movie. Wow. It's so, his smile is, you can't help but smile when watching it. Yeah. The joy and the love that you see come out of this hard band. It's amazing. My house is in the hills above Tehillu. Very simple place.
1: Pink stones that warm in the sun. Um, Kitchen garden that smells of herbs in the day, jasmine in the evening. Through the gate is a giant poplar. Figs, apples, pears, the soil, Marcus, black. Black like a, my wife's hair. <laughs> Grapes on the south, slopes, olives on the north. Wild ponies play near my house. They tease my son he wants to be one of them. Remember the last time you were home? Two years, 264 days, and this morning.
0: I envy you, Maximus. It was a good home. Worth fighting for? And in the end, Marcus Aurelius, the emperor of Rome, the Caesar, says, I envy you. You know, you because you have this true love for your home and your family. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. And what does, <laughs> but of course, what does Marcus Aurelius want from Maximus? You're going to take over, yeah. not my son. You're going to be the leader of Rome and you are going to give the power back to the Senate and make sure that it happens.
2: Just when he was like, what can I give you? I'd like to go home. Well, about that. Yeah. Let me make you emperor. What? Well, and this is a guy who
0: wasn't there for his kids. Right. Here's he's talking to a guy who wants to go home to his kid. Mm -hmm. And he says, man, I'm so jealous that you have this desire to go home to your kid. (laughs) Guess what? You're not going to (laughs) do.
2: Right. And of course, in the, in the long run, he would have brought his wife and kid to Rome and whatever. Sure. But still, it would yeah. have taken a long time before that could have happened.
0: And, and of course, his reason for wanting to do this is Commodus is not a moral man. Yeah. He cannot rule. He must not rule. And he says, you know this. Yeah. Right. And it seems like, I think most people kind of know this. Yeah. Can you imagine someone who most reasonable people thought shouldn't rule yeah. suddenly be given power over the most powerful country in the world? Sure. true. Imagine something like that. Mm-hmm. Sounds really scary, <laughs> yes, on so many levels, um and then who does he see next, but Lucilla mm-hmm. boy, they see right through each other, I think mm-hmm. both of them she knows he's lying, he knows she's lying yeah uh it's 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 brutal and and we get and now we get the sense that there's some history here, yeah, we don't get to know what the history is exactly, right, um, but that they're that he chose his wife in Spain, and she's married this other person, they both have sons, which yeah. is an important connection between the two of them, Yep. Yeah. And, and and what I love with the treatment of Lucilla is that she's a smart person mm-hmm. and a strong person that's that's really treated that way in the film.
2: And it's kind of a subtle exploration of the idea that a woman can't rule at this time or wasn't allowed to rule at this time because she's – because, uh, you know, Aureli really says that to her. You'd have been a great Caesar if you had been born a man. Yeah. Or something like that. So it's that it's, – it's, I wish she had gone, the I'd be a great Caesar anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I already am a great Caesar. <laughs> Why are you giving...
0: Like, you know that guy is insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just why didn't you make... Why make Maximus Caesar? Want
2: to break some rules? Yeah. this rule. Break in
0: charge. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, Maximus is at prayer. We see these little figures. Mm-hmm. And again, the spiritual sense of the film, that wasn't in the first script. Oh, okay. I think that came in with the third writer brought in these spiritual elements of the script. Gotcha. Um, which are really, really important. Mm-hmm. And we see that as he prays, he sees he imagines his family and his home. And this becomes really important. Um, His his servant is uh, uh, what's his servant? Cicero. Cicero. His servant Cicero comes in. That's Tommy Flanagan. Tommy Flanagan. Man, he's in a lot of stuff.
2: He is in a lot of these epic films, and he also he plays good and bad guys all the time. Well, and part of like having a guy whose face is
0: instantly recognizable in a crowd is really useful. Because that scar too? And Maximus says to him, "We may not be able to go home after all. Yeah. Time for Commodus to talk to his dad." This is a rough scene. It is. And he basically says, you don't have any of the virtues that you need to have to rule. And his response is... You wrote to me once, listing the four chief virtues.
1: Wisdom, justice, fortitude, and temperance. As I read the list, I knew I had none of them. But I have other virtues. That can be a virtue when it drives us to excel.
4: Resourcefulness, courage, perhaps not on the battlefield, but there are many forms of courage. Devotion to my family to you. But none of my virtues won your list. Even then it was as if you didn't want me for your son. And again, this is where Ridley
0: Scott wants
2: us to sympathize with him, and yet I do not. It's ridiculous, but I will say this: yeah, yeah. You know, uh, the idea of it all is he's, you know, his crying all through this. And I wanted to ask you as I was watching the movie, I was like, I can't wait to ask Steve this: Do you buy his tears, or do you think those tears are convenient for what he's trying to trying to convince Aurelius to make him emperor by almost guilting him into it by going like, "You're a shitty dad, so give me the kingdom." It's it's so funny.
0: I wrote I wrote. My note here is he wants his love, but he never got it. Do you buy this? Yeah. So I'm thinking the same thing that you are at this moment. I do buy his tears. You do. I think I You think think those are genuine? Yeah. I I mean, I think he seems to... I mean, Joaquin Phoenix's acting in this movie is weird. Oh, yeah. And it, it feels to me like there's all of this emotion underneath the surface at all times. I mean, in the same way that he's really genuinely feeling things for Lucilla. Okay. I just don't anything think any of the things he's feeling are warm fuzzy kind gentle loving or sympathetic so the tears are (laughs) tears of anger well you can be sad and still be an asshole (laughs) (laughs) very good point i mean marcus aurelius might say it is the anger you're feeling that's causing you this pain yes you know Mm -hmm. um and then we get this line where after commodus is sort of said the truth, you know, all of this, you know, these are my virtues and you don't love these virtues. And he says,
1: Commodus, you are false as a son is my failure as a father.
2: That is a great line. Yeah. That's what I was referencing
0: earlier. Yeah. yeah. That's Richard Harris's line. He came up with that. Really? Yeah. It's a really good line. That's, I wonder if he
2: was speaking to somebody. Oh, uh, Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, well, doesn't Richard Harris's son is Jared. an actor. Yeah, Yeah, that's Jared's right. a great actor, man. Great actor. I There are times where I prefer Jared more than Richard. Now, Richard is a great actor. And, of course, Camelot, and I yeah. even like him in Molly Maguire's, sure. a, a bunch of films that he's been in. But Jared brings a, an incredible vulnerability to his roles yeah. that you don't see often from Richard in his films.
0: Well, and, uh, you know, if I were going to pick of those three guys, Burton, Harris, and O'Toole, yeah. Harris is my least favorite. By, by far, okay. I mean Burton. You know O'Toole. I mean, we just did Lawrence yeah. Arabia. Can't beat him. Right. And Burton, there's so many unbelievable performances. And Harris is really good. Yeah, but he's no, there's not a performance of him where I go. Oh, my God. Yeah. And now maybe had I been seen him in the theater in London back in the day, yeah, maybe. I would have gotten
2: that. Yeah.
0: Um, but the other person who's not digging his performance is Commodus <laughs> <laughs> because they go for a nice little father-son hug oh. uh, and it is pretty brutal. Yeah. He gives him the squeeze against the chest and he just suffocates that old man. He does. Yeah. And I, and, and I love that they're right under the statue yeah. of Marcus Aurelius while this happens. You know, the, the icon and the man. Yeah. Apparently you should not wake up Maximus too <laughs> close because he pulls that knife
2: out right away. Well, you don't survive in the, in, in, know, the field of battle without being uh, awake to, you know, kill someone if they surprise you. And he's told the emperor
0: needs you. Hmm. He comes back to the emperor's tent, sees Commodus, who first thing he says him is... Men with me, brother. Our
1: great father is dead.
2: It's a great reveal. Yeah. Right? What's interesting, too, the music, we haven't talked about the music cues too strongly yet, but whenever, he, uh, even at the beginning, when he's writing in his Commodus to interrupt the uh, coronation, is, in essence, of Maximus by his troops, the music, the, the uh, uh, evil music cues kick in whenever uh, he's there. Yeah. And so you see, whenever comedy shows up, you just hear this dun, 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 dun. dun. It's more of a you know, very dramatic, evil cue. And same thing here, like the whole reveal, oh, yeah. there's, dun, dun, you know, it's that kind of thing. So, well, it's funny. Hans Zimmer,
0: he's an unbelievably great uh, composer. I love Hans. I do too. And what's interesting is like where we talked about other composers like mm-hmm. John Williams who have these beautiful motifs, Hans Zimmer has just this kind of undescribable power yeah, and strength. And it's like, like in Dark Knight is Hans Zimmer is that you don't go like, oh, here's the melody of this thing. You go, here's the sound of the Joker. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a different, and man, the power that we hear in Gladiators, just fantastic. (laughs) And right away, first of all, we see that Quintus, which is uh, Maximus's, kind of right-hand man is standing with Commodus Mm -hmm. and Maximus says goodbye to Marcus Aurelius and then Commodus says
4: your emperor asked for your loyalty Maximus take my hand I only offer it once
2: only offer it once So he senses a sibling rivalry to a degree because he says our father. Our father. It's a thing. It's a sibling rivalry going on between these two because he knows he prefers Maximus to him. And so Maximus being alive, just Maximus being alive, is an affront to Commodus.
0: Well, but it's also he wants, he's like saying our father is dead, in my opinion, is saying we're brothers. We're on the same team, remember? Yeah, but he's manipulating him. Oh, absolutely. That's what I mean, Yeah. yeah. But it's a weird sort of like...
2: I'm offering you to be my brother. Yeah, but he's only offering it once. Yeah. He, he's not giving him time to like deal with the death or have, go through like the processing of the death. He's like, I'm only doing it once. And he's doing that to set up, to set up Maximus.
0: Well, and, and, and of course, if he were smarter, yes, he would, he would be more subtle about this. Of course. The fact that he says only offer it once, Maximus is like, you killed him. Yep. You know, and, I know you killed him. Yeah. And he turns his back on him and walks out. Yeah. And there's that look from Commodus to Quintus where you go, oh, okay. Yeah. Um. And Lucilla is great in the next moment. Walks up to him, slaps him twice. Yep. And then takes his hand and kisses it and says,
3: Hail Caesar.
2: Yeah, man. What's going on here? Well, for me, it's a woman having to survive in this very patriarchal society. And so she's going to register because she has... She's had, obviously, what we should find out later, she's had sexual relations with her brother. Well
0: we don't know, we never get to know what, exactly what's sure, happened.
2: Sure, but something has some happened. shit has happened. Yeah. I, I'm going to opine for me that they've had sex and uh, growing up, and so there's an, he thinks they have this kind of romantic connection, yeah. but for her, she has a little more leeway with him than she would have normally. So her slapping him is her, a moment of defiance, but then her kissing the ring is her moment of survival. Well, and does she know that he killed dad? Yes. Well, I think so. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: I think she certainly suspects it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. It, figuring out exactly what's going on with her at each moment can be a little hard. I, I think always thing, think, which just, is good.
2: Yeah. But I always think she's the smartest person in the room. Yeah. So I think so. I that's just, how I factor yeah. the film. Yeah.
0: Um, And Maximus, he's had back to his 10. He grabs his sword yeah. and in comes Quintus. And the first, I love the question of why are your guards armed? (laughs) And his response is, please don't fight. Yeah. And, and, and Cicero wants to come get in brawl and he gives him a little like, no, 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 go away. And they, you know, it's like ride till dawn and execute him. Yeah. gets pretty bleak. (laughs) We're in a bad place. Of course, we know this isn't actually what the movie is about. The movie is called gladiator. Russell Crowe is the star. So there is no, all of us know he's going to survive this and yet pretty scary moment. Yep. Um, he kneels down to pray. He asks for a soldier's death, which is a real thing. The way they did executions behind, you know, stand behind the back, drive the stu- the sword directly down into the spine. Oh, um, it's like okay. What does that do? Well, it kills you right away. Oh, does it really? Oh yeah.
2: Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if you ever want me to, do it. no, I'm just saying I don't know because the logistics of it all, you know, it's a hard. It seems really hard to beheadings do. beheadings. Apparently, were really difficult. So really well, difficult. How could you? St- how could you stick a sword through the spine correctly, but you got problems with beheading? Yeah. I mean, it still sounds like it would feel better than a samurai seppuku. Oh. That just sounds brutal. Yeah, I don't think so. Like,
0: let's cut all my entrails out while I sit there calmly. Waiting for you to cut a off. haiku. You know? Yeah,
2: haiku.
0: Um, okay. <laughs> but it's not going to go that way. Um. Yeah. Uh, because he, he he grabs the sword for the guy, knocks him out. Yeah. Beautiful moment. And then the other guy goes to grab his sword. And I love the moment. The frost. Sometimes
1: it makes the blade stick.
0: Yeah,
2: it's great, huh? Um, knowledge of the... He's a badass. Yeah, he is. Maximus is a... Yeah, he's a true badass. It's a Russell Crowe at his prime. In his prime as an actor, right? Just coming into his strength. Um, flying sword impales a dude. Mm -hmm. Then he calls
0: out to the horseman who charges him. He stands up against the horseman and takes him out while getting you know cut pretty severely in the arm. And now he's got two horses and he rides off to go
2: home. That's a hubris. That's his hubris. His cut on his arm is his hubris. He did not have to call the centurion over. He could have snuck up on the centurion and, and stabbed him. Well, oh, but and, the guy was going to ride off and warn the army. Right, right. It. But he could have snuck up on him.
0: I guess. We it's, had a But horse.
2: calling him was his bad. And the yeah. way it's shot, he's like walking into the frame. Yeah, looked like a badass. That's a fair point. But it ends point. up costing him because he gets cut in that exchange. The cut is what causes him to become, you know, whatever later on. Yep. And now we go on this kind of montage on this long journey, mm-hmm. which, by the way, this is mostly shot in California. Oh, nice.
0: Um, and we're sort of intercutting between these... Uh, shots of this journey as he's growing weaker and weaker, and the horses are getting weaker, and then he's on one horse, two shots on the back of his him. home, yeah, and he's bleeding, and we see the wheat fields and the home, and it all gets more and more surreal as we go. Yeah. Um, and it, what's funny is is that okay, he's in, going to Spain, he's in Germany. This is fifteen hundred miles. <laughs> we don't really care. <laughs> it's see, yeah,
2: it's a long ride, man. <laughs> it's long. <laughs> There's no way he's doing it on
0: one horse the whole way. No. I, I would say, I mean, I don't know how long it takes to ride 1,500 miles, yeah. but my guess is a month at least. At least. At least. Yeah. Anyway. You uh, can't be
2: bleed, bleeding for a month. Yeah.
0: And, of course, then we cut to the home, and there are the Roman legions yeah. marching up that pathway, and they wipe
2: them out. They yeah. cut the boy down. This is brutal. It is brutal. It's really brutal. And I don't know why I really wanted to show the body bouncing under the horse's hooves it is right. i didn't think it was necessary you could have heard of the scream of the kid and we that's should that. call ridley i'm gonna have conversations with him. if i ever meet him we're gonna have conversations there's a lot of things i would talk to ridley about like dude why did <laughs> yeah. you like prometheus kind of oh, i mean please let's not start there
0: and uh interestingly uh in the original script the yeah. wife and the son don't die what they're still alive what the original version is not about revenge hmm. it's just about him getting escaping right it's not a movie about revenge. And they change it to about, which to me is a fundamental, absolutely fundamental change to the movie. Yep, uh, We Max, love revenge films, man. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He arrives back at his home, sees the flames in the distance. The horse falls. He runs up to the burn house. And that shot of seeing the hanging bodies.
2: <sighs> it's brutal. It is. And I think this is some incredible acting from from Russell here, totally. And for Ridley to leave the snot on his face, and <laughs> as the that's the real like, how would you react? And he seems so purely in the moment reacting. It's incredible. It's, it's funny you should mention the snot.
0: So Russell goes to Ridley Crow and says, "Oh, Ridley Scott." I'm sorry, Russell goes to Ridley <laughs> Scott. It says, "So how much do you want? Do you want like single tear? Do you want you know crying, real sobbing?" And wow, and, and Ridley goes... which is weird to me that yeah. he can offer the menu.
2: <laughs> now that's an actor. Just check the box by <laughs> yeah, what you want. Tell me what you and like. Ridley
0: really says, "I want the whole sobbing uncontrollably." Wow. And Russell goes, "Okay, maybe we can even get some snot." He literally predicts. He Babe Ruth style points to the rat, you know, to the to the center field and said and calls his snot shot. <laughs> I mean, that's
2: some. That's great. That's some acting, man. Yeah, most people are stressed about crying on camera. Russell's like, "What would you like me to do?" <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Which you like shaking? which <laughs> Some coughing in there?
0: <laughs> um, and it's funny. One of the things that Ridley Scott said is that he learned that epic filmmaking is a mix of huge, wide landscapes and close-ups. Mm. And who do you learn that from? Our dear friends, John Ford and David Lean. That makes sense. Those are the guys, man. A lot of great close-ups in yeah. David Lean films. And uh, he's digs the graves Burying your own family is that's 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 among the, wor- the worst things, I would imagine. Yeah. And someone comes up behind him, and then there's this shot of his body moving over the rocks. That is great. It's a really cool shot. Very
2: spiritual. It is. It is. It's otherworldly. A lot of people think he died. A lot of people, there's this oh, really? theory online that he dies there. Oh, really? And this whole thing that happens in his mind is a dream. Because Commodus, in real life, never had any of this right. happen to him. And so they think when he's floating like that, he is dreaming and he's like in the exhaustion and the end and then he dies. At okay. The, at the end of the movie. That's silly. But okay. I don't, I don't think it's silly. I think it's possible you could make it. Th- sure. Obviously it's not what they were thinking when they made the film, but you can make a guess. You could sure. you could make an argument that this whole thing that happens from this point forward after he buries his people because he's exhausted on the ground from riding 1500 miles you just stated, it's possible. You know, I have this theory that this that Marcus Aurelius as he died, this is his whole dream. Oh, it's not the same thing. I could make. I could make it. It's a argument. fever dream. It's okay. a fever dream. So anyway, but it is beautiful. <laughs> it is great. And, and we see. Uh, Spike Jim- Lee must have been jealous. Who like yeah. to do that kind of shots? We see
0: Jiman Hansu, which is I think how you pronounce his name. Jiman Hansu. Jiman Hansu, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and uh, he's got some maggots to clean out the wound. It's <laughs> a real thing. Does work. By the way, Jiman Hansu made a whole career being the best friend of the lead. Yeah, for,
1: for years.
0: He's great. He's, I, yeah. he's one of the, by the way, his part was a lot smaller. Oh, really? And got bigger as because they're rewriting. They give him more stuff. And there are other reasons we're going to get into oh, okay. why his part gets bigger. Um, and we end up on this caravan and uh, and we arrive out in a Roman pro- province, which is in North Africa, which I th- think is this is all shot in Morocco. Yeah. Um, and now we get to meet Oliver Reed. Yeah. He's so great in this movie. And it's so great that he has one last really great film. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. Um, we see the arena and we see Oliver Reed making some deal with talking to some guy that he got swindled because he did mm-hmm. the giraffes that he got. They wouldn't make because they're gay giraffes. and you just know.
2: such a random thing. Gay giraffes. Yes. In a, in a Roman film. Like what? Or in a gladiator. Like what?
0: It, yeah, it, yeah. It is weird. And then he says, well, no, no. I'm going to offer you the deal on these gladiators. Yeah. He goes out. and He checks out. uh Jaimon Hansu, which his name is juba i think okay and uh and finds out he's a hunter yeah we see that russell crowe has the mark of a legionnaire so obviously he must be a deserter we find out he's a spaniard and he goes okay uh i'm gonna buy you and that's right when russell crowe wakes up to he wakes up at the moment that he's been sold yeah man his life is taken a turn and i love oliver reed's first speech to his gladiators <laughs> it is not it's a rough thing to wake up to <laughs>
1: I shall be closer to you for the next few days which will be the last of your miserable lives than that bitch of a mother that brought you screaming into this world I did not pay good money for you for your company I paid it so that I could profit from your death and as your mother was there at your beginning so I shall be there at your end and when you die and die you shall your transition shall be to the sound of gladiators.
2: I salute you. This is <laughs> the dread pirate Robert speech. Oh, Right <laughs> In another, <laughs> the the dread dread pirate right, pirate another decade, in yeah. another decade, another yeah. century. It's it's no the prisoners, d- man. <laughs> i most likely kill you in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> i most likely kill you in the morning.
0: There's some practice. Uh, Juba does pretty well. Yeah. We see this big, huge muscle muscle guy, Rolf Mueller. Rolf, very good. Yeah, he was a Mr. Universe. Yep,
2: and a buddy of Arnold. I used to, I used to buy all the mag, like I was. Big, oh, sure, of course, back yeah, in that's the right. Eighties and nineties. I had Flex magazine. I had Muscle and Fitness. I had uh, Muscle Mag. I, I was Bodybuilding Illustrated. I subscribed to all those because I was lifting weights like crazy back then. Wow. And so I was into like Dorian Yates, all these guys, Parks, yeah, Schwarzenegger, Colombo, and then Rolf Muller, of course. Um, but, and not the only friend of of Schwarzenegger in this movie, which we'll find out later. Wait, who's the other friend of Schwarzenegger? When they fight with the tigers, that's homie from fucking Conan. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep, that's his boy from Conan. That's awesome.
0: Yep. Now it's Maximus's turn. He just tosses his sword on the ground, then takes a shot to the shoulder, mm-hmm. and then the belly, and no flinch. No flinch. And we're about to have a third shot, and then, nope, we're going to stop it. Yeah. This is him punishing himself for
2: the death of his mo- his oh, wife and his child. Great point. Yeah, that's what I think. I think so. that's why he won't fight back, because he's like, I deserve this. I deserve whatever's coming to me because I my hubris allowed my wife and child to die this way because I was I was arrogant towards Commodus. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: We have a nice little scene with Juba and, and uh, Russell Crowe. They do. They're great together.
2: Yeah. You. It's
0: so Requestor. interesting.
2: Yeah, with very little, you go like, oh, they're best friends. Sometimes you, it's like Morgan Freeman and Kevin Costner, you just buy it. Sometimes they're just chemistry and you just buy it. Yep. And, uh um and John not a, tra- it was a model, underwear model, right? And he moved into acting and so, but he was very natural in these things. Yeah. Is this before or after Amistad? This is before. This is, no, after, because Amistad after. is 97, I think, oh. isn't it? I don't
0: know. I'm going to look it up while you talk. Okay. And now we're heading into the arena. And this, so this was actually built in Morocco and the sets underneath the arena are really built under the arena, which is unusual. Normally you build them in different places because it's harder to build a big two story set like this, but they did it uh, practically. Um, and 97. Awesome. And then there, and then there's um, the, you know, Oliver Reed comes in. Some of you are thinking you won't fight that you can't fight. Thrust
1: this into another man's flesh. They will applaud and love you. For You you may begin to love them for that. (laughs) Ultimately, we're all dead men. Sadly, we cannot choose how, but we can decide how we meet that end in order that we
0: are remembered as men. Yes, this is a manly movie, <laughs> <laughs> but not a sexist movie. No, no, no. It's a manly movie, not
2: a sexist movie.
0: I know. I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what does Russell Crowe do? Reaches down and grabs some dirt. Yeah. And what do we know? This is like, oh, he's gonna fight, mm-hmm. and we're gonna see, and you know, you're gonna see some shit. Yeah. It's a really good build to the first our first big gladiator fight. Mm-hmm. The doors open. <laughs> And Oliver Reed immediately sees this, is that Maximus fights in a different at a different level. Yeah. And we wiped the other guys out. Mm-hmm. Even hmm And by the way, be, fighting together with a dude chained to you, that's got to be, that seems hard. Yeah. yeah. It seems <laughs> tough. And as they win, the crowd roars. It's really weird to think about the fact that this is not bullshit. Like, you know, the fact oh, that- yeah. That- all throughout the Roman Empire, and, a very, and Roman Empire, this is probably the peak
2: of this. Yeah, but like people paid their tickets to go get to see people kill each other. Yeah, and here's the other thing, Steve, that struck me as I was watching it this time too. We're cheering for. Uh, Russell Crowe and Jamin Hansen and Ralph Muller, we want those guys to win because we right. don't want them to die. But the other people they're fighting are not evil people. They're just yeah. like them, slaves who've been trained to fight because they need to live and survive. And so it's easy to fall into the trap to be like cheering for them, but be, but also think those people are evil when in fact they're not evil. They're just trying to survive themselves. So it goes both ways. you know. And the film tricks you like that. And some of these films really do trick you like that. Yeah. There's a great
0: episode, I think I've talked about it before, mm-hmm. of the podcast Hardcore History. Okay. Um, and he basically does a whole episode talking about basically public violence torture. I mean, it's really brutal, by the way. Oh, yeah. But, but it is – he goes in a lot of de- detail into the – roman battles mm-hmm. and the number i mean just the there was a whole industry built around getting animals yeah. to the Colosseum in order to have them kill slaves and having their like running and they have demands of like no we need five more lions it's like we don't have any more lions how about a tiger i mean like like it's just this huge business yeah where and they are just slaughtering animals slaughtering people and then they're just their executions there's torturing there's just all this stuff publicly and there were food concessions and banners and signs and cheers and everything you think about except real people are dying. Yeah. I mean it is so crazy to 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 look
2: at this stuff. Yeah, but that hunger isn't dead. Right? Oh, I, I mean our we we're more civilized now, but we still have boxing, MMA, to a degree professional wrestling. You know, we we have these things in underground fight clubs, those kinds of things that people do, you know, that thirst to fight or watch people fight and even NFL now with the CTE and all that kind of jazz like it's real right what's happened we this hunger to see people slam into each other and battle and fight and knock each other out and do brutal things to each other there's the there's a hunger to it that I don't it's a it's a primal thing it's driven from the first man that ever walked the earth and first woman that ever walked the earth. There is a primal thing to it. I think a hu- a very a, to our species. No question about. It. I totally and the thing you don't I see would, tigers setting up fight clubs. Then tigers, well, humans
0: do it. They, I mean, maybe they want to. I was just saying. Um, at a certain point, tigers like let's get those guys to fight. Um, tiger went tiger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, what I, What I'll add to this is like yeah. the thing that I always think about is like, look, humans haven't changed yes evolutionarily no not enough time has passed for our genetics yours and mine to be any different from the average person that was running around during the height of the roman empire Mm -hmm. the only thing that's changed is the where we're raised and culturally and all the stuff we're around Mm -hmm. if you if you and i as babies were transported to the roman empire we would be going to see that thing and thinking about it in exactly the same way well you would be going i'd be a slave um no i'd be i'd be a slave too too? oh i'm jewish oh that's fair yeah yeah. Okay. Well, I would have been conquered and spread out Jewish all over Goldberg? the world. Jewish,
2: Jewish gladiators. Uh, well, Kirk Douglas. <laughs> yeah. So boom, nailed it. Mic drop. Mic drop. Okay. Spartacus Goldberg. No wait, what?
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. So we're back to Rome. Yes. And most of this was built in Malta. And the way it happened was that this motherfucker spending money, ain't he? Oh, it's Tuscan,
2: Italy, Malta, California. Yeah. The way <laughs> this one happened money.
0: is he was shooting White Squall. One oh. of his lesser... It's it's okay. It's like it. okay. Once yeah. again, right? It's in that sort of trough, yeah. Ridley trough. Yes. Trough and and word. he they they were shooting in the Mediterranean and they went to Malta and he saw this bunch of walls and he's like, man, that looks kind of Roman. Yeah. And he remembered it. And then he comes back to shoot this. And what it is, is they're not Roman walls. They're actually 18th century. A lot of them were used for barracks for Napoleon, for his troops, mm. but they do look kind of Roman. And so what they did was they built off of and on top of all these other buildings. And they basically created their backlot. You know, they sh- all wow. over Malta. All these sets, uh, palaces, all these things were built there. And they would uh, build additional stuff and then use CGI to fill stuff in. Um, really interesting. Wow. Um, and Commodus arrives, and we get to see Derek Jacobi, who's just a great, great, great actor. Still acting. Yeah, he's awesome. And there's this moment of like, oh, he enters Rome like a conquering hero. What exactly is he conquered? Yeah. And we, we get to meet Lucius, who is Lucilla's uh, son, and we end, go to the Senate, and they've got some business to do, mm-hmm. talking about sanitation. Like, really, if you got a new emperor, maybe the first thing to start off isn't the sanitation, because <laughs> he is not interested at all. Nope. He doesn't care about the work of government. Ooh. And there's this Ooh. idea of the Senate versus the approval of the people. Right. It, you might say that he's very interested in ratings. Yes. And uh, <laughs> responses and audience and playing to his base, and, yes, and definitely, and the and I I would say the only difference is in the Roman time the base was called the mob,
2: yes, which and, is referenced numerous times in
0: this movie. Yep, is that and there's this thing of he believes that he knows the people and that they will love him and embrace him and he will and that the Senate do not understand it and if and he will be so loved. That he doesn't need to follow the regular rules that the Senate would like him to follow.
2: And I love the response from Jacoby. Oh, teach us from your own vast experience how to do these, how to relate to the people. Yeah. You know, which I love is a great response.
0: And Commodus shuts him down. Gracchus asks him, have you ever embraced someone dying of plague? Yeah. And he says, no, but if you interrupt me again, I assure you that you shall.
2: <laughs> Scary dude. Yeah, I feel like that's happened recently. <laughs> In a certain house. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're back with Lucilla and she's trying to talk him down mm-hmm. a little bit. And she does a smart move. She said, yeah. and I love this line from Jacoby when she chimes in and she says, just leave the list with me. I'll make sure right. he's tired, blah, 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 And she says, as always, my lady, your lightest touch commands all our intention. And that's a right. brilliant line, man. Yeah. It's almost as if, you know, he has a staffer that is trying to
0: control. (laughs) Are we going too far with this one? Maybe too far. Maybe too far. Anyway, yes. Um, (laughs) And then we get back to, you know, Commodus wants to get rid of the sentence. Yeah. and, And he goes, it's obvious, it takes an emperor to rule an empire. And then he gets into this idea of the greatness of Rome. Well, what is that? It's
3: an idea. Greatness is a vision. Exactly.
1: A vision. Do you not see Lucilla? I will give the people the vision of Rome and they'll love
0: me for it. It's almost like he wants to make Rome great again. It's
2: oh, f- I thought we were trying. Right. Uh, no, I had one more. <laughs> right. It was. I'm not gonna look. I I don't I don't want to alienate any of our listeners, but for me, it was really it's unmistakable how similar some of the things he says and does are reminiscent of what we hear coming out of the White House now. And so for me, the film took on a whole nother level watching it this time around for this podcast because i was like it's undeniable some of the things he's saying are almost almost exactly what we've heard trump say numerous times so i don't know if you'll cut this out steve maybe you will but i just it was maddening to me to watch it this time around so i don't know and and i'm not sure if i will cut it out or not
0: it's something to think about the 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 thing to me is that uh john locke the great political philosopher Mm. said uh power is derived from the consent of the masses yes Which makes sense because if if there are 100,000 people in your country and 100,000 people don't want you to do a thing, and they collectively come together and say, don't do that, there is no way whether you're a king or a dictator or anybody else, you have no power Mm -hmm. unless you have the masses with you. And the power of the mob in Rome is huge. You know, all of these people, the Senate, the emperor, whoever it is, without the mob's consent, they do not have the ability to rule. And the mob... Um, is really, really powerful. And if you look at the discussions during the time of the framing of the Constitution, the big thing that they talked about, if you read the Federalist Papers, for instance, is how do we work against the power of faction, which would be what they would call the mob, is that because once a faction is loud and together, they can make a whole bunch of stuff happen that maybe more reasonable, learned, scholarly people wouldn't want. And so they put in all these protections within the Constitution, to protect us from that, yeah today, with the rap the rapidity of polls and people's voices and Twitter responses and mm-hmm. all this stuff, the power of mob faction or the base uh, is way, way bigger. yeah. and and what's happening is that all sorts of politicians are very, very scared mm-hmm. to go against that because it means probably political suicide for. yeah, them. that's why we see so many of them retiring over the last year,
2: yep. It's true. All
0: right. But Lucilla at this moment is trying to calm down yes. her emperor. Yeah. And he takes her hand and he kisses it. And this is what I wrote down right out here. Again, the creepiness. Yes. <laughs> it's really creepy. Um, but we see what Commodus's plan is going to be because he's hovering over a model of the Colosseum, mm-hmm. And then we go to the real Coliseum. And that's where the sen- senators are talking. And they, we find out that Commodus has proposed 150 days of games. And Gracchus's response is he's cleverer than I thought. Yep. Yeah. Because again, this is how you get the mob. Yeah. That's where his power is going to come from.
2: Yeah, there's, it's the line. And I took a, I took a, a picture of the line because I wanted to remember to put it on the podcast. What he says, right? He says,
1: I think he knows what Rome is. Rome is the mob. You conjure magic for them, and they'll be distracted. We take away their freedom, and still they'll roar. The beating heart of Rome is not the marble of the Senate, it's the sand of the Colosseum. You bring them death,
2: and they will love him for it. And that's true of any political system. It's not where politics lie, the power lies in a marble, in a White House in a uh a wherever the wherever the communist dictators lived whatever the name of that that place was it's the people and the people are the sand and the sand is the earth and throughout this whole movie there's this feeling of connection to earth the hand against the wheat every time uh, uh maximus goes into battle he grab whatever dirt he's he grabs the dirt or the sand or whatever he's at he does that it's a connection to the earth over uh the idea of people in power or government it's a fascinating subtle thing working through this whole movie well and i want to comment on another part of that line bring them
0: death and they will love him for it yeah is that what did the senators want to talk to commoners about Sanitation. Yeah. It is like as boring a thing as you could possibly imagine. But in fact, a lot of the, most of the work that government does is stuff like sanitation. Exactly, is the boring stuff. Mm-hmm. But if I want to go out to the vast majority of the people and talk about sanitation, then you're not going to be into it. Nope. But if I talk about, there's an enemy out there, yeah. there's violence, bloodshed, people trying to kill you. All of a sudden, that's what you're going to love me for.
2: Yep. Bring Something's them coming death. to get you. Something's
0: Something, coming to get yeah. you. Bring them death and they will love you for it. Yep. fear. And anger and rage—that's how you move the mob. Yeah. But it is not how you keep bridges from collapsing. Right. Um, we're back at the arena. Spaniard is sharpening some weapons. And, you know, I realize that he hasn't spoken in a long time. No, it's been a long time. Well, that's the power of Russell. Um, and and now our next battle starts. He takes out like eight guys. Yeah. He just wipes him out. And 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 then I love that he leaves two swords in the last guy, walks away, then comes back and takes the guy's head off. That is some badass stuff. <laughs> he throws his sword at the ground, looks up at the crowd, and says,
2: Are you not entertained? <laughs> are you not
1: entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here?
0: And he throws his sword down and spits. Are you not entertained? That's been that's like that's a go to meme thing. Yep, quotable thing everywhere. Yep, that is a great moment in
2: Which film. It's him, it's it's him vilifying the crowd. Yep, you bloodthirsty bastards. Like yep. he's basically saying that. Are you not? This is in what you want. Is this what you want to see us all kill each other for yep. your amusement? And what did this crowd do? They start chanting his name.
0: They cheer him. Yeah, yeah Maximus. Apparently they... Or Spaniard. Spaniard, Spaniard at this sorry, point. Spaniard. Apparently they are entertained. Yes. And now Oliver Reed wants to see this guy. And at first he's just like, what do you want? you want a girl? you want a boy? Um, and, and then we get into this conversation of you're good, but not that good.
1: You're good, Spaniard, but you're not that good. You could be magnificent. I'm required to kill, so I kill. That is enough. That's enough for the provinces, but not for Rome.
0: What's really funny, by the way, this is exactly what Tom Cruise says to, um, what's his name in Cherry Maguire? Oh, yeah.
2: He's like, you got to show some
0: emotion. (laughs) You got to win over the crowd.
2: That's Uh right. To Cuba Gooding Jr. That's right. To Cuba
0: Gooding Jr. Yeah.
2: Um, Rod Tidwell. That's right. (laughs)
0: Very good. I knew it was in there. And that's when we find out that Oliver Reed used to be, uh, Proximo is his name. Proximo used to be a gladiator.
1: Oh, you should see the Coliseum Spaniard. Fifty thousand Romans, watching every movement of your sword, willing you to make that killer blow. The silence before you strike, and the noise afterwards—it rises, rises up like, like, like a storm, as if you were the thunder god himself. You were a gladiator. Yes,
0: I was and he was freed by his emperor. Right. And that emperor was
2: Marcus Aurelius. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you knew Marcus Aurelius? I did not say I knew him. I said he touched me on the shoulder once.
2: Which is also ironic because Marcus Aurelius
0: is the one who shut them down. Yeah, which by the way is not true. Marcus Aurelius <laughs> did not shut down those games. And
2: we, he kind of goes on about like the glory time yeah. the Coliseum. I think in, my, in some way, Steve, for me, uh, watching every time I see this scene, I think Oliver Reed knows he's dying. And I wow. think he's giving this like speech to Russell, leading man to leading man. He's saying to him, no, 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 this is great, but where you want to be is here. Right. It's ironic because Russell goes on to win the Oscar for best actor for this movie. Uh, a good but point. like he's saying to him, where you want to be, oh, wow. you're here, but where you want to be is there because that's where it is is—the the, the being in the main stage forever, like the love you'll get and you'll hate it when you can't be there anymore. I think you're so right. I hadn't interpreted it that way, but you're, of course you're right because that's
0: where Oliver Reed was in his career. Mm-hmm. He wasn't getting the work. Nope. You know, th- this is a guy who was
2: not a huge star. No.
0: But a star yes. who was
2: working all the time. He would had been in the 70s, 60s, 70s, and a sex symbol. Yeah. In the 60s and 70s and uh, early part of the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was the Three Musketeers movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I was yeah. watching some of that recently.
0: Or <laughs> um, trying to. Or try. Yeah, it's one that we decided maybe not to do. In the yes, files. sadly. Uh, unless you manage to go on Patreon <laughs> and donate. And finally, what he says is, You ask me what I want. I, too, want to stand in front of the Emperor. As you did.
1: Then listen to me. Learn from me. I wasn't the best because I killed quickly. I was the
0: best because the crowd loved
2: me. I wasn't the most talented. I worked harder than everybody else.
0: Well, I think it's something else too. It's it's because it's inter it's not the interaction with the guy I'm fighting that's important. Yes. It's the interaction with the people watching that's important. Exactly. That's what's going on. Yes. And he tells him, win the crowd and you will win your freedom. Yep. And remember, originally this is a movie about a guy trying to win his freedom, not a movie about a guy trying to get revenge. Yes. It's a different thing. Well, oh, that's a great point, Steve. Yeah. Um, Shades of a different writer there for this scene. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. and Russell Crowe, you see it gets him. I will win the crowd.
1: I will give them something they've never seen before. (laughs) So, Spaniard, we shall go to Rome together and have bloody adventures. And the great whore will suckle us until we are fat and happy and can suckle no more. And then, when enough men have died... Perhaps you will have your freedom.
0: And so as Proximo prepares for the journey to Rome and Maximus plots his revenge on the Emperor, we've reached the end of our discussion of part one of Ridley Scott's Academy Award-winning film, Gladiator. As always, you can reach us on our Facebook page. Just search for The Cinephile, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. You can subscribe to us at all the usual places, YouTube, tune in stitcher itunes if you're on itunes please leave us a review they really help people find the podcast if you're on youtube leave a comment if you want to support the podcast or suggest a film of your own you can become a patron on patreon patreon.com slash the cinephiles if you want to buy gladiator or any other film we've ever reviewed you can visit our website cinephiles.net we have links to amazon as well as amazon prime where you can stream the films as always, you can reach me on Twitter at SRMorris, and you can reach John at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. And that's it for this week. We will be back next week for part two
2: of Gladiator.